0: Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is our text for today and the Lord's Supper is a great launch pad for today's sermon which is just two verses Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. It's on page 891 in your pew bible if you'd like to use that resource. Romans 12 1 and 2 two verses that transition us to the last major section in Romans. We've been studying this book for a number of months, uh, and we took a two-week hiatus as we had Easter a couple Sundays ago, and then uh, Brother Elder Brad Wade preached a wonderful message entitled, Am I Saved? last week, just looking at the gospel of our salvation. And, And now we're returning to the book of Romans at a wonderful spot, as the emphasis here in chapter 12 shifts from learning the gospel to living the gospel. And this is a common pattern in all of Paul's New Testament letters where he moves from doctrine to duty, from principle to practice. And the reason is this. God's revelation to us ought to produce a grateful response from us. And that's why we are to live in light of what we have learned about God's grace to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing yourself in your will to us through your holy word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us a fresh take on this familiar text. Please renew our minds even now as we look to your word by helping us to see wonderful things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're just considering two verses and one principle that comes from those two verses, a principle that is fleshed out in three parts. The principle is this. True worship entails dedicating your whole self to God. That, I believe, is a basic Summary, the fundamental principle that Paul is presenting here at the outset of Romans 12. True worship entails dedicating your whole self to God. Paul sets forth this fundamental principle in three parts or three points. Uh, he begins with an appeal, which is positive. And then he moves to an admonition, which is more negative. And then he finishes by telling us the after effect, which is positive, if we heed the appeal and the admonition. So let's consider each of these points carefully this morning. First of all, the appeal. The appeal in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, could say brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, I appeal to you. Paul had every right to issue a command as an apostle, but he chooses rather to give to them an appeal as a brother in Christ. The word appeal in the Greek is parakaleo. It literally means to come alongside of somebody else. And it carries the idea of encouraging them, exhorting them, admonishing them, uh, encouraging them, counseling them, persuading them. Paul uses this word several times throughout his New Testament letters. And we see in other passages that this kind of an appeal, this kind of coming alongside other Christians is something that all of us as believers are to do. This is not just the work of an apostle, this is the work of every believer. Let me just give you two references. 1 Thessalonians 5:11, Paul says, "But encourage one another." That's the word parakaleo. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This same word appears In the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, let us not neglect meeting together. Glad you're here today. You already obeyed that command. Let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day of Jesus' return drawing near. And so this appeal that Paul makes in Romans 12, yes, it carries the authority of an apostle, but it is a command, it is an appeal that we ought to be regularly making to one another as we relate to one another, as we fellowship with one another, as we worship together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The basis for this appeal that we see in verse 1 is the mercies of God. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God. The therefore refers to the immediately preceding verse, verse 36 of chapter 11, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Paul praises God saying, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And the reason Paul is is ending chapter 11 with this doxology, with this high note of praise to God, is because of the entire gospel, the whole plan of salvation that Paul has laid out in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And now as he ends on a high note of praise to God, he says, therefore I appeal to you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. God's mercies are the basis of Paul's appeal. If you are to read the first 11 chapters of Romans, as we look at this uh, doctrine of the gospel, the salvation of God, we see that God's mercy is multifaceted. That's why Paul uses the plural here. He doesn't say the mercy of God. He says the mercies of God. Like a multifaceted diamond, God shows the, the wonderful display of his mercies toward us in Christ. We've seen in the first 11 chapters that this includes God's love for us, right? Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. It includes God's love for us. It includes, we saw in chapters 9 to 11, God's electing grace. It includes even our faith in Christ. God has given us the ability to believe. It includes our justification whereby God declares us righteous on account of our faith in Christ. It includes our sanctification, the process by which we become more like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It includes our glorification when we will be finally, finally be like Christ when he returns in power and glory. The Bible says that we will be like him for we will see him as he is. It includes the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life. I mean, innumerable mercies, and all of them from God. And Paul says, because of God's many mercies, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him. I mentioned that in last week's sermon. Brad Wade expounded wonderfully from the New Testament on the gospel and part of brad's message included these words from ephesians 2 where paul says but god being rich in what mercy but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved And he's writing to those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I asked Brad for a copy of a sermon. I just wanted to be able to read it over. I thought he did, by God's grace, a marvelous job, preaching last week. And I said, I I would just like a copy of this for for the sake of of, of seeing what you wrote about the gospel, the the indications that were saved. I might want to draw something from my sermon this Sunday. So Brad sent me his uh, manuscript, and it was 18 pages long. Well done, Brad, getting it in that time, and as I, as I leaped through these 18 pages, everything was in black and white. The copy that he gave me, everything was in black and white. 18 pages, except for two words, which Brad had bolded in red. And it were these two words from Ephesians 2, but God. But God. Fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, where would we be without God. The Bible tells us exactly where we would be. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. We would be headed to hell to suffer the eternal wrath of God on account of our sins, and deservedly so. But God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Because God is rich in mercy, all who trust in Christ alone for salvation are eternally saved and are spiritually alive. So God's mercy is the basis for Paul's appeal to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God. You see, under the Old Covenant, God accepted dead sacrifices, dead animals, as a uh, temporary atonement until the ultimate sacrifice came in the person of Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the river Jordan, what did he say? Behold who? The Lamb of God, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. That's why there's no need to sacrifice dead animals to God as a temporary covering for sin. The final sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ laying down his own life, has already been offered, and it is fully sufficient to cover every sin of every single person who has, is living, and ever will live. Now all who trust in Christ for salvation are granted not only forgiveness but according to scripture they are also given the capacity to please God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of Christ we are spiritually alive, and because we are spiritually alive we can now present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable, which means well-pleasing to God. Isn't that an astounding thought? Not because of how great we are, how good we are, but because of how great and gracious and merciful and good God is toward us. It's a magnificent, mind-blowing truth that sinners like us can not only be forgiven, but actually now have the capacity to please God. That's because the gospel provides not only salvation from God's wrath, but also the power to live a changed life. God's mercies then provide both the motivation and the means to obey God. Now you might have heard it said that the problem with the living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. But that really misses Paul's point. Uh, People can can say about that, you know, kind of make a joke about it, pointing to our inconsistencies as Christians. But that's clearly missing the point of what Paul is saying. The point of a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, is that it's ongoing, it's continual, it's constant, it is lifelong. Although we begin the Christian life by offering ourselves initially to God and trusting ourselves to Him fully at the moment of salvation, For the Christian, this is a lifelong dedication to God, not a one-time thing. We keep on presenting our bodies to God for as long as we live. But why does Paul say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice? I mean, aren't we also to dedicate our minds and our hearts to God as well? Well, yes, I mean, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. So why does Paul say present your bodies as a living sacrifice? The reason that Paul emphasizes our bodies is because our bodies are concrete and practical. This is where you get down to the brass tacks of Christianity. Somebody can stand and sing and praise the Lord and say, I just give God my heart. Now that may be a sincere confession of faith, but it is nothing more than a farce if you give your heart to God while giving your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet to the devil. True worship entails the whole self. Worship entails, is what we do in our bodies, which is everything. What do you do that has nothing to do with your body? The answer is nothing. Whatever we do has something to do with our bodies. And that's Paul's point. Worship is whatever we do with and in our bodies, which includes absolutely everything in our life. That's why Paul says in another passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That ties in perfectly with the end of Romans uh, 11, verse 36, that we read a few moments ago. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Therefore, present your bodies as a living, ongoing, lifelong sacrifice to God now that you have been made spiritually alive in Christ which Paul actually talked about back in Romans 6 verses 11 to 13 we won't read that but it's a good passage to go back and read and when we do that Paul encourages us by saying you are offering to God a sacrifice that is holy and acceptable or well-pleasing to God The word holy conveys this idea of a body dedicated to God. The word holy means to set something aside from common use and consecrate it to the Lord for his use. And that's exactly what we do when we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Paul says that it is now, because of Christ, acceptable to God. It is well-pleasing to God. That's what we want to do with our bodies is please God. Now, we could apply this in in many different ways. Let me give you one example. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says to believers, run from sexual sin. Run from sexual sin. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So glorify God with your body. When we do that, when we run from sexual sin and we put away from our body, we protect our body, from all kinds of sinful influences and refuse to partake in them, knowing that we partake in the body and blood of Jesus Christ by faith. The Bible says that that kind of sacrifice, because it will cost you something, is acceptable to God. That kind of sacrifice is indeed well-pleasing to God. Paul calls this, living sacrifice, our spiritual act of worship. Now the King James Version, I think the New King James as well, maybe a couple other translations, say not this is your spiritual worship, but they say this is your reasonable service. That may well be a better translation because the word for reasonable or spiritual is the Greek word logikos, from which we get our word logical. And Paul's point is that offering your bodies as a living sacrifice to God is the most logical thing to do in light of all of the Lord's mercies toward us. It is the reasonable response to God's grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Also when he says this is your reasonable service, it shows us that worshiping God in this way is not automatic. It's not something that we do by default. Uh, Mike and I were attending uh, the last Together for the Gospel Conference a couple of weeks ago, and you remember Mike, uh, Greg Gilbert was preaching on Philippians 2. He says how, how if, if you picture the, you know, even the Christian life like a compass, the needle is just always wanting to go towards self. It just goes there by default. We do not worship God by default. We do not worship God automatically. So when this word logikos is used, this word reasonable, it shows that offering our bodies, dedicating our bodies, presenting our bodies as an ongoing, lifelong sacrifice to God demands constant effort, constant attention. It demands careful consideration, and intentionality on our part every moment of every day. As I remember God's mercies toward me, as I think that through, as I reflect upon it, as I reason through it, the only logical response is, of course, to yield every part of my body to God for the rest of my life. As we reflect on His mercies, we resolve in our mind to serve God. God. So the question is, have you resolved to do so? I'm not talking about the moment of your conversion. Do I praise God for your salvation if you have believed in Christ? I'm saying, are you making it a conscious effort in your life to yield every part of your body, your embodied self, to God every moment, every day, every decision, every act, every habit. This is the essence of true worship, Paul says. You see, it's not just what we do on Sunday mornings gathered here at church that ascribes glory to God. This is a good and appropriate and necessary thing for the Christian life. But it is not merely reduced to a Sunday morning, one hour gathering that ascribes worth to God. It's what we do every moment of every day, every day of the week, for the rest of our lives. Years ago, the Christian band Casting Crowns came out with a song that became popular called Me My Life Song. Sing to you. I just read over the lyrics quickly this morning, and these few lines grabbed my attention. It said as a prayer to the Lord May the words that I say and the things that I do make my life song sing, bring a smile to you. I want to sign your name at the end of this day, knowing that my heart was true let my life song sing to you. The way that you know that your heart was true is when you look at the deeds that you did in your body and said, by God's grace, they were consecrated to him. And where we fall short, we confess that to the Lord and we redirect, we adjust the course of our lives True worship entails dedicating your whole self to God every moment, every day, for all of life. Now the question is, how do we do this? Well, we don't have to guess because God graciously, through Paul, tells us how in verse 2. Look at Romans twelve two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here we come to the admonition. Do not be conformed to this world. That's how the verse starts. And I want to pause right there for just a moment. At that admonition, do not be conformed, to the world. The language suggests that maybe this is something they were doing, and Paul is saying, stop conforming yourself to the world. J.B. Phillips, decades ago, paraphrased this verse in a popular way, or this opening command, saying, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold That's a really good paraphrase that captures the sense of what Paul is saying. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. In this verse, the Greek word that is translated world is aion. Aion. And it's better translated age. It denotes not planet Earth. It denotes a period of time An era of human history, a period of time that is marked by certain certain attitudes, beliefs, values, and behavior. We could call it the spirit of the age. What is the spirit of the age in which we live? I mean, sin has been around ever since Adam and Eve first fell in sin in every era of human history. But what is the, the challenges of the day in which we live? How is sin specifically manifesting itself in our day? That's the, the, what we have to know so as not to be conformed to the things of this world because we can easily be deluded if we're not being transformed by the renewal of our minds, which we'll get to in a moment. But as I thought about this verse and the meaning of world being age, the, the spirit of the age in which we live, My mind went back to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, when King David's throne was first established. He he had just become king. He was actually still in Hebron at this time. But God was, in accordance with his promise, establishing the kingdom of his servant David. And 1 Chronicles 12 says that there were men who surrounded David when his kingdom was first established. In verse 32 notes specifically men from Issachar who, and I quote, understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. I thought, God, how we need men like that today? We lack spiritual leaders Male leadership in the home, in the church, in the society, in the world. We need men like that today who understand the times in which we live and dedicate themselves to the greater David, to King Jesus, and say, by God's grace, in the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit of God, because I belong to Christ, I will advance His kingdom in the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit. Men who understand the times and knows what the people of God need to do and lead us accordingly. In his latest book, Strange New World, Carl Truman says to respond to our times, we must first understand our times. Quote. And that doesn't mean that we have to have a complete in-depth knowledge of all that's going on in culture today, but we also can't be like ostriches who have our heads stuck in the sand. We need to be able to what's going on in the world around us to discern what's going on around us so that we can respond to it accordingly. And as I said, even though sin has characterized every era of human history since the fall of man, We are living in a strange new world, are we not? In which, and here's how it's strange. Like never before, a person's inner self has become identified as the source of truth. The truth is whatever works for you. The truth is whatever makes you happy. The truth is your truth. The truth is not objective, it is subjective. The truth is what you view it to be. It is your truth. If you doubt that that's the philosophy of our world today, just watch Oprah. But don't watch Oprah. It is your truth. Your inner feelings, how you feel, is the source of truth, and nobody has the right to question it, let alone critique it, but actually must to in some way conform to it as your truth, affirming you in that truth. If you want a prime illustration of this, remember when we look back at Romans 1 when Paul pointed out homosexuality, not because it's the only sin or the unforgivable sin, but it's, the, it, it's a prime example of how... People worship the creature rather than the creator, right? Paul singles that out as an example. Well, I would suggest to you that this notion of what is called expressive individualism, that that my inner self is the source of truth, you want a prime example of that? Look no farther than the legitimation of transgender lifestyles. Let me explain. The legitimation of transgenderism Actually, Carl Truman put forth as a prime illustration of granting decisive authority to a person's inner feelings. Let me just read an excerpt from the book, and I I, I wish that every Christian would actually read this book. Here's what he says. The sentence, I am a woman trapped in a man's body, would have been nonsense to my grandfather. Had it been uttered by a patient to a doctor in the mid-20th century, the doctor would have responded that the patient had a psychiatric problem and that his mind needed to be treated so as to bring his feelings in line with his physical body. Today, the doctor is more likely to respond that the problem is such that the patient's body needs to be brought into alignment with those inner feelings. Indeed, were a doctor to respond in the earlier fashion today, he might well find himself the subject or the object of legal action. Doctors today grant normative authority in such cases to inner feelings or psychological convictions. We should note that this is not a scientific move. It is not the result of following the science. Rather, it is the result of living in a world where the inner voice is the key to the real person. The trans person who was born male but claims to be a woman is to be lionized because that is an act of courage and honesty whereby the outward performance is finally brought into line with the internal reality. All of this derives from authorizing, indeed valorizing, that inner voice. And then, expecting or even demanding that the outside world, from the public square to the individual's body conform to this, then again, he states that not just to single out transgenderism like that's the you know the unforgivable sin, he states it as a prime example of the authority that has been granted to the inner self that I am the source of truth and everything outside of me needs to conform to my truth including my own body though the biological reality screams otherwise but you know virtually every commercial communicates the same message today you get that to the heart of really just about every advertisement and it sends the same message. You are the center of the universe. Your happiness is paramount. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. You can reinvent yourself into ever you want to be. It's not just the commercials. It's not just the major TV networks that are sending this message. Parents, Beware because your kids pretty much don't even watch the networks anymore. It's YouTube, TikTok, video on demand, gaming, social media, and other media that are shaping the minds of the younger generation. Four days ago, SpaceX's Crew 4 Astronauts safely arrived at the International Space Station. When you really look at what that entailed, it's phenomenal how far science has progressed. The International Space Station is an experimental lab that orbits the Earth every 92 minutes, traveling at just over 17,000 miles per hour. Not phenomenal. It is going that fast, and yet those that are on board, are they barely notice just how fast they are actually traveling. Human life and experimentation that takes place aboard the International Space Station functions optimally when it's in orbit at 240 miles above the Earth. But as it's going around the Earth about every hour and a half, traveling at just over 17,000 miles per hour, here's the thing. The gravitational pull of the Earth is pulling it down. The only way it's able to stay up is because of the boosters that are on the International Space Station or, or the rocket docked there. Because if If it didn't have that counter-effect, that counter-action taking place, the International Space Station would eventually crash to Earth in 240 days. Its path must regularly be tended to. So I thought about that. I thought, man, you know, the same is true of the Christian life. Let's think about our mission. What's our mission? Our mission is to know Christ and make Him known. Our mission is to be conformed to the image of Christ and to present every person perfect or mature in Christ. The gospel of Christ is what propels us forward in our mission. But the gravitational pull of our culture will bring us off course if we are not aware of corrections that need to be made in our life. Because sometimes the changes are so subtle we're not even aware that, we're hap- that they're happening. We don't even notice them. But if we remain oblivious to what's going on, and we do nothing to correct that in our lives, in our homes, and in our church, then the end will be catastrophe. And I say to you, as my brothers and uh, sisters in Christ, mission control is your responsibility. Mission control is your responsibility as an individual believer, and it is our responsibility collectively as a church. So, how do we stay on course? Well, thankfully again, God in His grace tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal or by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get our word metamorphosis. And it connotes an outward change in appearance. Matthew, in his gospel, uses the same word to describe the transfiguration of Christ. When Christ revealed, he, put, he outwardly displayed his inner glory to the disciples that were there. In the same way, the Bible says that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, it's not I, but Christ. Right? Didn't Paul say that in Galatians 2.20? I, the old self, me, has been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but what? But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith. The life I now live in the flesh, that is in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, and Jesus wants us to put his glory on display. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples? He said, let your light so shine before others that they see your good works, they see the visible demonstration that you follow Christ by what you do with your body, and therefore when they see that, will glorify your Father in heaven. When Jesus instituted the new covenant by giving his body as a sacrifice for sins, by shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, he gave everyone who believes in him a new heart, a new spirit. How do we let the world see the new heart, the new spirit that God has given us? Because man looks on the outward appearance. God alone can see the heart. Well, Jesus tells us, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We show people, the glory of Christ within by the good and godly things that we do with our bodies. We put God's glory on display by becoming a living sacrifice. The same word transformed appears in 2 Corinthians 3.18 which says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed, metamorpho, into the same image from glory to glory like ever-increasing shades of glory, we're becoming more like Christ. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is to say, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us more like the Son of God. So the command, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that too appears in the passive voice, indicating that this is the Lord's work. God is the one who renews our minds, but God expects us to cooperate with Him in that process. Remember the verses that Brother Bob read moments ago from Psalm 1. Listen, everybody, but men specifically. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is where? It's in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And God promises that he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, and whatever he does will prosper. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be a spiritual success in the eyes of God, if you want to flourish as a believer in Christ, then you must renew your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit by being in the Word of God. Most of us have heard the expression garbage in, garbage out. The same is true of the Christian life. If you want to be a spiritual success, if you want to flourish as a believer in Christ, you must protect your mind from sin and you must program your mind with Scripture. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Protect your mind from sin. Garbage in, garbage out. Protect your mind from sin. And program your mind with Scripture. How do we do that? By reading the Word. By studying the Word. By memorizing the Word. By meditating on the Word. By sitting under good Christian teaching. Listening to helpful Christian podcasts. By having good Christian friends who will parakaleo come alongside of us and encourage us. And and talk to us and counsel us according to God's Word. Will give us a needed rebuke when necessary. Will give us helpful instruction. Who will lead us along in the ways of God. That's what it takes. If we are to be renewed in our minds, you can't be stuffing trash in your head ten hours a day and spending five minutes in the truth and expect to be transformed. You're going to be deformed. You're going to be conformed to the things of this world instead of according, instead of according to the Word of God. Just yesterday in my Bible reading, I came across these words in Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. By constant practice. That's how you become mature. Brothers, that's why many of you are spiritual babies. Hey, if you're new in Christ and you're learning things slowly, that's okay. God bless you. But some of you have been saved for 30, 40 years, and you're still a spiritual toddler. You're old in the Lord, but you're not mature in the Lord. How do you become mature? By training yourself in God's truth and by constant practice, knowing how you see the times in which we live, you filter everything through the word of God, and you become a man that knows what God's people need to do. You apply God's word to your life, you make adjustments and corrections as needed, and you also come alongside others to make sure that they too stay on course, beginning with your own wife and children if you're married. Well, what's the after effect? we can be sure that a transformed mind leads to a fantastic result. Verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Boy, how encouraging is that? That is to say that all who put God's word to the test, by putting it into practice constantly, will be utterly pleased with the result. They will see for themselves that God's word works. It is sufficient for every single situation we face in life. Now Paul's going to flesh out this principle throughout the remainder of chapter 12. Indeed, throughout the rest of this letter. But for now, he is simply establishing this fundamental principle. That true worship entails dedicating your whole self to God. I've got a sweatshirt that I'm tempted to throw away but can't because I don't have any holes in it. But I get frustrated because the zipper constantly gets stuck and I can't pull up the zipper. And I, I say, you know, the zipper doesn't work. But in one sense, that's not true. What's, what the problem is that actually part of the zipper's not working. The slider that you pull up and down generally is perfectly fine. The reason that zippers get stuck is why? Because the teeth aren't aligned, right? If we think of this as an analogy, if you will, of the Christian life, the teeth of the Christian life is our beliefs in the Word of God lining up with our behavior. And when those things are not in line, we, we get frustrated, we pull, and we might even be tempted to say, no, this gospel, this Christian life doesn't work. Oh, no, it works perfectly fine when your beliefs and your behavior are lined up the way God instructs them to be lined up in Scripture. And when, those, when your behavior are aligned with your biblical beliefs as a Christian, you will find that the gospel works just fine. So my question to you this morning as we close is that if you feel frustrated, unfulfilled in your life as a believer, I would ask you, what is it in your life? What is it in your body? What part of your body? Is there a struggle with your eyes, what you look at? What you're watching? on media, what you're listening to, maybe the music or things, uh, the use of your mouth. Where are your feet taking you? What are your hands doing? What about your other body parts? See, when we dedicate our whole selves to God, and I'll use Paul's words, when we dedicate our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, aligning our behavior with our beliefs, not just learning the gospel, but living the gospel, we flourish. We flourish. We prosper in all that we do. So what part of your life is not aligned with the Lord? And I'll follow it up with this question. Since Paul makes his appeal by the mercies of God, How can you look at the cross of Christ, what he did for you, and not be fully committed to him? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement and the correction that your word provides. Help us to take it to heart as your Holy Spirit speaks to us in these closing moments. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.